1: Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Our podcast is brought to you through partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece yours truly hosted, and I hope you will enjoy. Uh, I am so pleased to welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show from the ReliefFactor.com West Coast studio, Brett Stevens of the New York Times, where he's an op-ed columnist. Brett, I looked for you in Aspen. I did not see you at the Aspen Security Forum. Did you skip it this year?
0: Uh, well, my wife had had to go someplace, so I was uh, I was uh, busy with uh, taking care of the kids.
1: That is that fair enough. That's a good reason, but I must tell you, you you skipped the JCPOA wake. It was a giant JCPOA wake, and I want to play for you and get your reaction during a um, a panel of Tony Blinken, former Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman former number 2 at Energy, Elizabeth Sherwood-Randall, and Jim Shudo, in which also United Arab Emirates Ambassador Youssef al was part. Uh, it was all about how John Kerry was empowered to deal directly with the Iranians and how he got our people home when they were seized, the Navy people were seized. They went on at great length about it. He had his phone number, his email address. He was able to get the Americans released. And stood up in the audience Ali Shahabi from the... Um, the Arabian Foundation, and here's what Ali Shahabi said, cut number one.
2: My question's for Tony. Uh, Tony, if you permit me, you you presented an example of the um, Iranian incident in the Gulf, where the Iranians took U.S. troops Mm -hmm. captive, and uh, you presented as an example of... uh, The benefits that you got from JCPOA because Secretary Kerry had the capacity to talk to Jawad Zarif 12 times in 24 hours to have them released. I will tell you that in the region, that was seen very differently. Mm. Uh, In the region, it was seen as an emboldened Iran daring to humiliate the United States by arresting its... by taking its troops captive, humiliating them on television uh, for a 24-hour period, and having the American Secretary of State you know, basically have to beg the Iranians uh, to release those troops. What I can tell you is that the impression today is that the Iranians wouldn't dare to pull such a stunt on America. And so while whatever you might say about the, the lack that this administration doesn't have Mr. Zarif's number on speed dial, uh, an element of deterrence has been brought back towards Iran, and nobody thinks that the Iranians would have the courage to pull such a stunt on America.
1: All right. So, Brett, uh, uh, Tony Blinken then does not respond directly to the Navy incident. Uh, what do you make of having to have the Arabian Foundation person stand up for the obvious?
0: Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not entirely uh, surprised. And I, I would assume, even though I wasn't there, that uh, Yusuf, uh, the, um, the UAE ambassador, uh, also made the case against um, the JCPOA. Uh, very eloquent.
1: I mean, very eloquently. Yeah.
0: The, the, the point that Ali made is, is unimpeachable, and the Wall Street Journal reported on its front page about six or eight months ago that uh, Iranian harassment of American ships has also more or less uh, come to an end. You notice that even as the United States has withdrawn from uh, the JCPOA, that the Iranians. Uh, are still um, at least claiming to honor its terms, at least to uh, visibly honor its terms. And I think that's absolutely right. It illustrates why so many of us were opposed to the Iran nuclear deal when it was negotiated, a majority of the Congress, a majority of Americans, um, and why uh, I think I was right when I when I praised the administration for, uh, uh, for walking uh, away from it. The question now is, what kind of policy do we construct to follow through with um, the right course, which is to put the Iranians on notice that they're not going to be able to escape from sanctions and eventually find their way toward a full nuclear capability.
1: That is exactly the question that Mike Pompeo addressed last night at length. I'm playing most of his speech in the last hour. I'll continue to play it here. It is hard-hitting. It is specific. It is exactly what this country has long needed, which is clarity about the nature of that regime. Tom Cotton remarked on Twitter this weekend, Brett, that No one seems to be noticing that we've arrested an Iranian diplomat, the West has, the Austrian officials, who was plotting to blow up Rudy Giuliani, Newt Gingrich, and dissidents in France, another could Force operation, and that it's just generally... Passed without notice. NBC News, from which we both work, reported on Friday that the Iranians have a massive cyber assault planned on the United States, and they have been busy doing to us what we did to their nuclear program, planning cyber hostilities, but not at a nuclear program, at critical infrastructure. Do you think this administration is getting Americans to focus generally on the nature of that regime? Well, I mean, I
0: think I think the administration has had some clarity on on Iran. I wish it were matched with similar clarity with other threats from uh, crazy um, WMD uh, um, possessing uh, regimes, mainly, you know, chiefly uh, chiefly North Korea, and for that for that matter, um, uh, of Vladimir Vladimir Putin's uh, Russia. You know, we there needs to be more needs to be done, Hugh, to counter the idea. That under the JCPOA everything was working uh, just fine because one of one of the findings that we we uncovered, speaking of, of news revelations of the last few days, through that is extraordinary Israeli heist of Iranian documentation of, of their nuclear program, is that Iran entered the JCPOA with a lie. They lied uh, that they had fully declared their past, the so-called past military dimensions or possible military dimensions of their past nuclear work um, and so the, the deal was founded um, on the you know something approaching the the old soviet joke which is you know the iranians pretend to come clean and we pretend uh, to believe them so there needed to be an understanding that that deal was driving us toward uh, the same kind of scenario that we now face with north korea a, a regime uh, with, with fanatical rulers intent on acquiring weapons uh, of mass destruction, and now I think there needs to be a public relations as well as a diplomatic uh, play, not just not just the sanctions play to persuade to persuade Americans to persuade Westerners that the threat was not contained and that in fact it was growing worse.
1: And what I uh, you and I agree on on a lot about Helsinki, it was a disaster. And I explained to the Aspen Institute that national security conservatives know it was a disaster because we allowed that which has to be perfectly clear. It was Russia that attacked us. We need to be clear about that so that we can deter other people from attacking us because we can prove that we know it's them and that they know we can strike back with great certainty if they attack any of our infrastructure or our elections or anything that matters greatly to us. We might not, but we need clarity, and the president uh, pratfalled that, right? That was the the great disaster. Where we disagree, though, Brett, and I, I I can't say strongly enough, you wanted Mike Pompeo and John Bolton to resign. I yeah. want them to stay doing what Mike Pompeo did last night, which was speaking truth about the Quds force, Soleimani, Khomeini, and all of the kleptocrat terrorists who run the Islamic Republic.
0: Yeah, well, there, there, there are other people, you know, as, as De Gaulle or Clemenceau or some. Some uh, long-deceased French station once said the graveyards are filled with indispensable people. (laughs) Um, And, uh, uh, you know, Mike Pompeo, I I interviewed him in Aspen, Hugh, uh, a year earlier, where he was pretty darn clear about the Russia threat, just as he was pretty darn clear about seeking regime change in North Korea. So any of us who have known Mike or have known uh, John uh, John Bolton for years— um, just look sort of open-jawed at the fact that these guys are pursuing policies that, if they were out of government, they would be denouncing. And I think that that being the case, they have no business advocating those policies. If, if, if you want to get Secretary of State Tom Cotton in there or, or any number of other people who, are, who, who can pursue those the North Korea policy or the Russian policy for the president with a clear conscience, by all means, uh, do so. I just don't think either Mike or John have any business hypocritically pursuing policy that they know perfectly well are disastrous for the United States. So I, I, think I genuinely they, don't understand they
1: that. Have, they, they I, ought to I genuinely don't understand what you're – given what Mike did last night, the Secretary of State did last night, given what John Bolton is uh, briefing the president about. Even though the president flubs Helsinki badly, what policy are they are those two people pursuing that they don't believe in? They're pursuing two policies that they don't believe in. A, they're pursuing
0: a policy of rapprochement with North Korea, which they know is not only destined to fail, but to continue to empower a regime that holds millions of people in gulag-like conditions. They know that's wrong. They know that, that it's destined to failure. And they're pursuing a policy of, of detente and, and rapprochement with uh, with Vladimir Putin, even as he continues to seize uh, foreign territory, threaten the West, and undermine Western elections in the United States and, and, uh, and elsewhere. And I don't understand how they can stay in government. Well, I don't, I don't speak
1: people. for them. I don't speak for but, them. I'd love to keep you— I, I got to break— Trump should— Okay. i got a break. <laughs> I, you. Will you stick around with us? Because I'd love to pursue this, because I think it's yeah, sure, it, It's the nub of what we're getting to. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back with Brett Stevens, except, of course, head over to uh, HughHewitt.com and look at that banner for Food for the Poor. We are trying to get aid down there before cholera ravages the country. Food for the Poor delivers nearly 95 uh, cents out of every dollar you contribute right to the place where it is needed. The Give Life banner is up there at the top, or you can call 855 855 That's eight five five three five nine 359 hope Eight five five three five nine hope Or the Give Life banner at hughhewitt.com. Brett Stevens will be right back. Don't go anywhere, America. This is important. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt from the RelayFactor.com studio, West Coast edition. Brett Stevens is my guest. New York Times columnist, really one of the most perceptive Uh, communicators about the world as it is, not as we wish it would be. Brett, thank you for staying over. I wanted to get your response to this, and I want to make it clear, although Secretary Pompeo and Ambassador Bolton are friends of mine with whom I have discussed these issues, I'm not speaking for them, I am going to quote two different senior administration officials, though neither of them Bolton or Pompeo, one of whom told me the objective in North Korea is to fail fast to prove that they went the extra mile and did everything they could so that any measure we take is unimpeachable in its response. And the second senior administration official on... uh Friday at Aspen, I asked him who was our number one adversary, to which the official responded, China, followed by China, followed by China. In which case, the Russia policy, however, inexpertly executed by the president, is an attempt to flip the script that Nixon laid. And unfortunately, Trump, like Obama before him, fell into the Nixon trap of believing that individual diplomacy could accomplish that end. Therefore, I don't think their staying in the administration is inconsistent with serious national security conservative policy. Your response?
0: You know, uh, back in uh, February of 2017, just after President uh, Trump took office, I, I, I gave a speech to the Daniel Pearl Lecture in which I talked about the Trump explainers uh, with a capital X instead of the E-X which is that there's always some high-flown explanation for manifestly uh, idiotic behavior. I mean, President Trump has been uh, skeptical about our alliance for, with South Korea for—not for years, for decades. This is a long-held view from him. And so there might be some high-toned gloss that they want want to see this, this policy uh, fail and that Trump is playing four-dimensional chess. But, uh, you know, being a sympathetic to Occam's razor— I think the president really thinks that he struck um, a kind of a man-to-man relationship with with Kim Jong Un, and that he's going to solve the North Korean problem by himself, and then at the same time take take our troops out of South Korea. The fact that we are no longer conducting war exercises with South Korea was a dreadful signal to the North, to our allies uh, throughout Northeast uh, Northeast Asia. So you can always come up with with an explanation. As for as for Russia and the idea that we're sort of doing. A reverse, uh, a reverse Nixon. I think that explanation is is perverse. Mitt Romney was absolutely right in 2012 when he said Russia is our number one geopolitical foes, foe. We have all kinds of we have all kinds of problems with China, but China did not knock down a civilian jetliner over 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 Ukrainian skies and then deny it. China is not assassinating its enemies on British soil using exotic nerve. Or radiological uh, agents, China is not acting the way Russia is to subvert elections throughout the West, bribing Western Western officials, and so on. And so while I have serious concerns about Chinese foreign policy, it's simply false to say that our number one foreign policy foe so at this moment uh, uh, is China. China is a problem for us in Northeast Asia. Russia is a problem for us around the world.
1: Okay, I, I, a different Aspen Security foreign portion uh, to the individual I identified earlier said China is the pace threat now. We'll come back to that. But we lost the thread, Brett, and I want to give you the last word on that. The thread was, you asserted that Pompeo and Bolton should resign because they manifestly do not believe in the policies of North Korea and Russia. My response was, in fact, they do, and those policies are exactly as I laid them out, that the president may be uh, completely incapable of communicating them, but they are not only persuasive, they are necessary if, in fact, you believe, as I do, that Russia is a hundred and forty four million people in a demographically failed state with no economic power that we could use, but that China is. $1.4 that is going to be the GDP arriving. They're putting two ships in the water every single month, and they will surpass our Navy and our military power within 25 years. Last word. I'm just saying, Pompeo and Bolton don't have to resign for the reason you say, because there is a look, counter look, to that.
0: Look, if if, if if Obama were conducting this exact same foreign policy, you and I know we'd both be denouncing it, so let's be consistent. And if GDP is the sole measure of a threat, then we should stop worrying about Iran. It's intention. Uh, as much as anything else that, that, that ought to concern us, which is why Russia, with its world's largest nuclear arsenal, is so problematic despite its economic problems.
1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. I want to talk to you for a moment about a group I've done work with for years, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. You've seen how your freedom is under attack. Go to townhallreview.com to find out how you can join Alliance Defending Freedom to help ensure the opponents of freedom don't dictate your future. That's townhallreview.com. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today.